It is Wellness Wednesday. That means we get time with the doctor, Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic. Also, the man with LongevityPlaybook.com. LongevityPlaybook.com, a place I want you to go and find out how you can live younger and live longer and just better. It's, it's all about that. And, and just sign up for the free newsletter. Yeah, it's great. I get it. It's like every Monday or Tuesday, I forget which, and it's always filled with great stuff. And you guys even include a, a, a cartoon to distract Correct. me. I, I like that, Doc. I like that a lot. Now, Dr. Royson, I have a question that is making news all over the country, and um, you're the only guy I know that'll give me the straight scoop on this. The CEO of Kellogg's, the cereal company, has said, you know, uh, people are having a hard time affording the food. Food is up uh, the highest it's been in 30 years. So just to have breakfast for dinner, have yourself a nice bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes. Doc, is it smart to eat breakfast for dinner? Um, in one sense, it is smart to eat a smaller portion for dinner. In other words, what we know is that you become insulin resistant through the day. But it is totally nonsense to eat a sugar-laden, non-protein type of food at dinner. So let's go through it. Should I have a smaller dinner than a breakfast? That would be ideal because your body normally can't handle the uh, big dinners that Americans normally have. That's one of the reasons we've gained weight. So in that sense, eating a smaller dinner is good. Eating something with just sugar right before you go to bed or with a large amount of sugar and carbohydrate as most cereals have is what you would call BS bad science okay so we could eat a little like cornflakes but not sugar smacks you know you got to go for the the less sugary and it's always smart to maybe take a walk right after dinner instead of retiring to the the smoking room to have a cigar and a cognac right so some of the things that are really inexpensive some of the frozen vegetables um which are the least expensive food other than maybe cereal for serving, having frozen vegetables or mixed frozen vegetables at dinner, not a bad idea, hmm. but you really do want some protein. So make sure some of them have, you know, a, a set of mixed peas with it that is inexpensive as well. Now, Doc, so if we look at the day as, as a, uh, you know, dawn to dusk or whatever it is, breakfast to dinner, what, what are we supposed to eat when? Are we supposed to eat the breakfast that we, you know, we've been told, eggs, bacon, orange juice, toast, is that the best breakfast? And are you supposed well, to eat that in the morning? It, it differs by your age. So this is one of the interesting things we've learned that people over the age of about 40 should start to eat, eat more protein all throughout the day than we would when we were younger. Protein stimulates growth, and having more protein in our diet is one of the reasons most people think we're taller now than we were 40 and 80 and 120 years ago. Really? 
Wow, I didn't know. So now, but you can get protein from vegetables as well as from fish and chicken. So meaning you don't have to get the protein from red meat because we know that that's probably not good. Eggs look like, especially when you're young, they may be fine, uh, meaning we don't know the saturated fat in egg yolks, but egg whites, having a, a uh, egg omelet with lots of vegetables from the leftover dinner would be great at breakfast. Hmm. So an egg omelet and eating whole grain bread with fi- a lot of fiber is fine. And coffee is great or milk for milk with vitamin D. We need enough vitamin D. So whether you get in supplements or is a supplement in milk, which is how it comes, is fine. As you get older, that same breakfast works. The difference as you get older is that we want you to double the amount of protein after the age of 40, specifically after the age of 50, certainly, because we start losing muscle mass. And one of the things that stimulates muscle growth is protein. So four of the five weeks, I've often told you that the fifth week should be a low protein week to recycle your proteins inside you. But for four of the five weeks, we want you to eat almost double the amount of protein you eat when you're younger. What do we mean by that? We mean that um, if you eat a gram of protein per two pounds when you're younger, we want you to eat 0.8 grams or almost double per pound, not per two pounds. So... If you say uh, 60%, 60 grams or 70 grams or 80 grams of protein when you're younger, it would be 120 grams when you get over the age of 50. Clearly, when you get over the age of 65, we want you to do that. Is it now that's four or five weeks of the month? Okay. The other week, the other week, we really want you to go low protein, low carb low calories to recycle your protein, to re, which gets you to re, into ketosis and to recycle your protein. So when you're talking about living longer with less disability, that's the way to do it. One more quick question. Are, are protein shakes or protein bars, are they acceptable to get that amount of protein in your diet? The answer is generally yes, depending on what else is in the shake. So you don't want to have a lot of simple carbohydrate. You don't want to have a lot of added sugar in that shake. Okay. So keep an eye on the added sugars and the carbs, but the protein in either the shakes or the bars is good. And that can get you to what you need to get for your daily intake, but chicken and fish and a little beef and vegetables and stuff like that can get your protein. I didn't say the little beef. Remember I did. I know. (laughs) I'm the beef guy. Twice a week, I'm on the beef parade. But it's good beef. It's really good beef. And I know you're frowning right now, but that's okay. We have different opinions on this. You Uh, actually did pick up my frown through the radio? I did. I can hear frowns. I hear everything. I hear when you open your briefcase. I hear everything, Dr. Royzen. I have radio ears. It's been there for decades and decades.
Doc, you have a lot of great research here, and, and now I have to question. When you send me stuff, you highlight some things in, in green and some things in, in magenta. Does magenta mean it's really got your attention and we should talk about that? Yes. You know, I've been doing this for how many years with you, and you just picked that up? Well, this one, because you usually <laughs> number them in importance, and I'm looking at the 31st item you sent me. It's got like seven layers of magenta, and I went, okay, it's last on the list, but it's covered in magenta. So I have to know. We have to talk about the measles thing. We're hearing that there are measles outbreaks in the country, and I tend to think, well, is it because we had, uh, I don't know, 8 to 12 million people show up and we don't know their vaccination status? Or is it because a bunch of whack jobs out in Hollywood told their kids we're not getting your measles vaccinations? Or is it both? What's going on? Um, well, let me go and tell you the problem. I'm going to tell you it's a whack job in Florida who's the commissioner of health who's stimulated me to write this. Really? Yeah, he said when your kid is unvaccinated and even if they've been exposed to a kid with measles, you as the parent should make the decision. And I realize you don't have as much health information, but you as the parents can make the information of whether you send them to school or not. Well, measles has an incubation period of about 18 to 21 days which means during those 21 days, that kid who has been exposed and probably will get measles since it's hugely contagious, will be spreading it to every other unvaccinated kid in school. And measles, one in five to one in 20 kids is hospitalized, three in a thousand die, four or five in a thousand develop brain dysfunction from it. And a whole bunch, by the way, get testicular dysfunction and cardiac dysfunction too. Um, the shot has a risk of one in four million. That is one in four million versus three in a thousand dead. Hmm. So my tweet on this was, you're kidding to this guy. Um, and you don't get your kid or you don't get anyone in the state vaccinated. If your kid dies, should you and the health commissioner go to prison on manslaughter charges? The kid is a real person. And he's at least as much a real person as an embryo in a freezer. So since we got this debate over embryos and freezers, let's get it real and say this is a living kid and you're risking his life, his brain function, and for nothing, it's a 400,000 to one benefit. If you've ever bet on the lottery, this is 400,000 to one better odds. This is incredible. So sending a kid to school when they've been exposed to measles, sending an unvaccinated kid to school, not vaccinated your kids against measles, that is a huge potential risk to the kid now, why wasn't it a risk before this? Because no one had measles. We wiped it out. But it's now in at least, as I understand it, 13 different states. It's in Ohio. It's in Florida. It's in New York. It's in California. It's in Nevada, et cetera. It's in Atlanta. Um, so 
kids have this. I mean, it's crazy. This is much more infective than COVID ever thought of being. It, it, it's a really important issue, people. And Dr. Royson's approaching it from a stopping the progression point. There's a different topic in terms of how we got here after eradicating measles to suddenly having outbreaks in states all around the country. Years ago, I would have looked at some of the people who were anti-vaccine on, on different levels of the, our society. And now I'm also pointing to an influx of population from places that don't have the same history of vaccination that we have. So we'll deal with the stopping the influx, but we also have to deal with managing the outbreak. And that starts with vaccinations. I think the the other thing it started with is we weren't, and I'm, I'm saying society wasn't, the leadership in society um, wasn't absolutely honest about COVID and didn't reveal all the stuff they didn't know and that we didn't know. And that got us to distrust the vaccines much more than we should have especially the distrust the childhood vaccines much more than we should have. So childhood vaccination, please get those vaccines, get the childhood vac vaccinations. They're very safe. They're made a totally different way. The, the totality of the childhood vaccines is at least a 40,000 to one lottery win. Very important. Very important stuff. Doc, some other stuff on your list, and this one just seems patently unfair to me. Why do women get more health gains from exercise compared to men? That's just not fair. They don't. That's the misleading headline on this story. Ah. Um, they do get a little more benefit. So women who do all three uh, or four of the ideal things, that is walk 10,000 steps a day, or do the equivalent of step equivalents, do 20 minutes of weight training, core weight training twice a week, do 20 minutes of cardio three times a week, do 40 jumps a day on a hard surface. They get about a 9.1 year younger benefit over what they would have been. And men get about an eight year benefit. That is, you get younger physiologically because you turn on certain genes in your body that make you younger, hmm. that repair your muscles, repair your bones, repair your brain. It's incredible what, what that amount of exercise does in turning on your repair systems to keep you younger. But um, the article was when, when you compare it to women in general in the United States, women do less exercise in general, less women exercise than men, at least in this study. It may be changing, but that's what it's been. And because you're comparing um, the women who is exercising with the rest of all women, and fewer of them were exercising in this study, it looks like they get a bigger benefit. But that's only because they're being compared with people who aren't exercising meaning that the average does less physical activity than the average man. So if you compare it with the average of men and women, women do get a nine-year benefit, men get an eight-year benefit. But if you compare it with just women, it's about an 11-year benefit compared to the average woman, not compared to the average human. 
Ah, okay. So the numbers, so I, the devil's the in the details groups. here. Yeah. So, but but the real answer is: do your ten thousand steps. Do do your aerobic activity three times a week. Get out there. Just do twenty minutes. You don't have to run. You can walk. And, and just make sure you're taking care of yourself. It, it will work itself out. You'll get yourself younger. I like that self-repair thing. Kick in the body's self-repair mechanism. Well, that's what happens. It's not, it's not just a way of stating it. It's what really is happening. When you lift a weight, why you get stronger? Because you tear the muscle and turn on the repair system in the muscle that makes the muscle stronger. When you jump on a hard surface, why do you get stronger? Because you create a small fracture, a small break in your bone, and you repair that by getting that bone stronger. And for some reason, when you do cardiac exercise and weight training and stimulate those muscles, you turn on a repair system. And when you do speed of processing games that stimulate your brain, you turn on a repair system in your brain that gets your neurons better. Excellent. Now, there, there are two things on this list that really trouble me. One of them is one in five child deaths in auto accidents involves an alcohol-impaired driver. That means 20% of the kids who die in, in car wrecks are, are killed because the driver was impaired by alcohol or something. It might have been, who knows, drugs, etc. But one in five, that's an astounding number. Yeah, they, they actually, and, and this is the most amazing thing, is 69% of those kids who die in automobile accidents die when the driver is their parent and is alcohol impaired. Let me repeat that. It isn't some other driver who's hitting you. Mm. More than two-thirds of those deaths are because the driver is the parent who is alcohol-impaired, and it's a single-car accident. And in the vast majority of cases, the kid is in an unbuckled situation when the driver hits a tree or uh, another car hmm. and uh, unfortunately the the kid flies out the kid flies as a missile out that's just stunning to me that now in 2024 so, so we don't have uh, people parents saying i'm going to put my kid in a car seat or if they're old enough buckle them up my rule is if you're drinking and you have responsibility for your kid and it's often single parents or people who trying to do two things at once, take the goddamn Uber, if you'll pardon the expression, home, or get the kid home in an Uber. And the second rule is always buckle up the kids. And the third rule is don't drink and drive, please. That's so many options that are so much better and safer and ultimately will save lives. It's really important. And I want people to follow you on Twitter, especially after your tirade against the Florida health official. I love that. Dr. Michael Roizen on Twitter. You have to look him up. You're, are you at Dr. Mike Real Age? What, what's your Twitter handle? I think, you know, I don't even know it. I think it's at Dr. Mike Roizen. Okay. Look up at Dr. Mike Roizen. And you should follow Dr. Royce and then follow me because we talk every week 
about um, keeping you younger, and that's all about going through longevityplaybook.com, longevityplaybook.com. Sign up, get the newsletter, hang out with us. We'll make you better. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.